Hi, everyone. Dean Crisp in the studio this week. I am really, truly excited this week to have special guest with me, Al Williams, Alfonso Williams, who's the sheriff of Burke County. We're also going to be joined by Kelly Corvin, who's the director of operations and the, the business development director for LHLN. But we're going to be talking about a story that's based upon the book, The Murder in Augusta. Mary Coley, Colley Stewart, who is a 37-year-old Medicare specialist, living her life to the fullest. Her life was cut short by a brutal murder that occurred on May the 12th, 1994. Al Williams, who's now the sheriff of Burke County, was a detective at the time at the Augusta Police Department. He worked the case. He knows the details of the case. But he also learned a great many lessons about personal leadership, his own leadership, organizational leadership, support, all those things. We're going to be talking about this case, how it relates to leadership, and how it relates to what we as leaders need to be focused on every single day. I truly believe you're going to like it, enjoy it. So as we always say, set back, turn up the volume, you're ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. Hi, everybody. Dean Chris back in the studio again this week. You know, we're getting close to Christmas this year. And, man, I hope all of you are staying COVID safe. It's been crazy out there this year. I don't know if, if, you, if it's just me or if it's you, but I will be glad when 2020 turns the corner and we're going to be looking forward to better things in 2021. You know, it's just been a crazy year for us. And thank you for hanging in there with us on our podcast. We've had a number of podcasts. We've been producing those weekly. I mean, we're almost up to 60 podcasts. You think about that. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive, the fact that we can stay focused and do those type things. But we only do it, not so that we can hear ourselves, but we do it so that we can share leadership and pass on the why to help you to inspire, to inform you, to help educate you, and to help you live a purpose-driven life. That's the reason why we do these podcasts is so that we pass along special guests, their their leadership, their information, their stories, and we love doing these podcasts. So thank you for joining us. Hope all of you stay COVID safe out there. And I'm going to be joined today by special guest Alfonso Williams, who is currently the sheriff of Burke County, who is a former detective in the Augusta Police Department in 1994. I'm going to also be joined by Kelly Corbin, our business direct director and for LHLN and the operations leader for us. And she's going to add some flavor to it and kind of maybe ask questions of Alfonso and give us a different perspective. But I really am pleased that we're going to be offering not only leadership lessons this week, but we're going to be offering a storyline that goes along with a tragic story of a lady by the name of Mary Colley Stewart, who is 37 years old, who is living her life to the fullest, who just simply goes to work and then disappears. And no one knows where she is. No one can find her. 
And then they put out this missing persons report, and that's where Al steps in. Al, take us through the story. Imagine this. I want your audience to imagine this. Two years before I was born, Toby Hayes, Willard Hayes, they called him Toby, was 19 years old. He's working at a Hess gas station, has a fiance who's pregnant, and he's just trying to make ends meet, just trying to take care of his family. And during this same period of time in 1969, the, the uh, violent crime is on the rise. Murders are up 19%, robberies are up 14%. It's crazy in the country. This kid is 19, he probably doesn't even realize it. Robert Eugene Fielding and two co-defendants went into that store to rob the place. And they did in fact rob the place and they shot and killed Toby. His fiance learns about the robbery and the subsequent killing and she miscarries her child. And in those days, the wheels of justice turned very quickly. And I, I sometimes wish they would today. But within a few months, he's tried and sent to prison. In 1989, our governor, Joe Frank Harris, because of prison overcrowding, released that killer back into our community. He's out for about five years before he struck again. When he got out, he got a job with a cleaning service. They hired him on the spot, didn't do a background check on him, made him the lead janitor for this private janitorial services company who worked with the Department of Family and Children's Services in Augusta. That's the welfare office, the social service agency, whatever you want to call it. Mary Collie Stewart worked there as a Medicaid, Medicare specialist, helping those who were less fortunate. She had a tough job, took it home with her every day, often worked late at night. And uh, on May, 12th, 1994, Mary's life changed forever, and so did mine, as you said. Mary was going to work late. She had recently married a husband, Ware. It was his second marriage. They were in their late 30s. She was 37 years old. So all the blitz of being a newlywed, it, it's over at this point, but they're having some marital issues, remodeling the kitchen having general arguments about what, what appliances to put in the kitchen, what color to paint the walls, where's kind of hanging out with a friend who's helping him remodel the kitchen, and, and, and they're just having a tough time. And Mary got up that morning, Dean, and wrote a note to her husband and said, I want to save my marriage. And this kitchen remodel is just not worth losing my marriage for do what you need to do, get it done so that I can cook in my kitchen. And uh, I'm gonna work late tonight. I'll see you when I get off. Ware was scheduled to go to a Green Jackets baseball game in Augusta that night. 
with his father. They were gonna work the concession stands and had free beer. He took advantage of that. Got home about 10.30 or so, Mary's not there. It's highly unusual, he gets suspicious. He's still a little intoxicated and starts looking for her, starts calling her family. Nobody's heard from her, nobody's seen her. Calls the police and they said, well, come down to the station, uh, go by her job and see if she's there. He went by and found her car in the parking lot. It's a lone car in the parking lot. This is a two-story building and He's still a little drunk or a little intoxicated, if you will. And 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 uh, so they go over with him. And as you well know, in, the, in any criminal case, when a person goes missing, you start with the next of kin first, and then work your way out to family, and then friends, and who they were last known with. And and that's, that's how the case evolves. Uh, they searched the building. She's nowhere to be found. They search her office. They don't see anything out of place. They call an investigator off of a murder case that he was working on the other side of town. He leaves that murder scene and goes over to investigate that situation. Opens the door of the dumpster. The dumpster is full of trash. Closes it back. Followed where at home to make sure there was no foul play, to, to see if she had packed a bag to, to leave where. Just didn't know what was going on. They didn't find anything unusual at home. And, and, and so they said, we'll follow up tomorrow. We'll give this case to the missing person detective and we'll, we'll be in touch with you. Well, I, I get to work. I was an early riser. I'm 23 years old. I love my job. I'd been an investigator for probably a year and a half at that point. I was assigned to violent crimes, typical young guy. You're in a specialized unit. You think you're the greatest of all times. You're on the news every other day in a big city. You worked in Columbia and Greer. You know how it is when you, you, you join these elite teams. You, you, uh, you think you're invincible and everybody's paying attention to you. And uh, I get this case and, and, and the Lieutenant said, I need you to go over to DFACS is what we call Department of Family and Children's Services. I had an office there basically because I w worked alongside their child abuse investigator. So I was there every day for something. I didn't know Mary personally, knew a lot of her friends. I knew of her, but she worked Medicaid. So I, I didn't have to deal with her directly. And so I get the case, I go over there, I meet with them. This is unusual, where's Mary? She's not out with a man, she wouldn't do this. And uh, we, we started working the case and, and uh, realized that we, we had a true situation on our hands. I met with the director. I said, give me everybody that was on the janitorial crew last night. She worked late. I want to talk to them. Um, met with the owner of the janitorial company and, and uh, gives me all the names and birthdays. I immediately run a criminal history on everybody because I'm curious to know what their backgrounds are. Later that day, Al, can I can I interrupt you for a second and no, ask you a question no. now? I want to make sure our audience understands. And and this is um, 1994 standards was let's go back to a thing so, called gumshoe detectives. And uh, anybody, you know anybody really knows what that means? It's just that man, you hit the you pounded the pavement as That's a gumshoe it. detective. You pounded the pavement. And when you're talking about doing a criminal history search. It ain't like today hitting two buttons. So 
what were some of those challenges that you faced? Now you've got a lady that is missing, you know, even though she writes a letter and says, you know, the marriage is not working, but I do want it to work, which indicates that maybe something else is going on there. Is there any time the husband or somebody like that becomes a suspect for you? Oh, you, you bet. You're certainly right. In 1994, DNA is very new. Uh, it, it, D, DNA probably been out for two years. You hadn't had many cases where you were really putting together that evidence. Scientists were just understanding that stuff themselves. And certainly as a detective, you didn't have a lot of experience with, with uh, working DNA cases. Uh, you, you, yes, we suspected the husband. I mean, he's, he's intoxicated when he calls us. Uh, he's saying this is unlike her. He's showing us this note where she's saying there's been some marital problems. You certainly don't rule him out. And, and although you have everybody, the, the four ladies that went to lunch with her the day she disappeared, all said she's not with a boyfriend. She didn't run away from home. This is highly unusual. But I've got a husband standing there with this note who who, who is, is doesn't have all of his wits about him. And uh, and and so yes, he's a suspect. What all we had computers. APD, Augusta Police Department was fairly progressive even back then, but you, you didn't have Google search engine. You, your, your cell phones were bag phones in the car. Uh, right. We had beepers back then. That, that's where you were in 1994. But uh, uh, so, so we, we, we develop, uh, uh, we, we go back to the office and you had the old LEDs worksheets where you fill those things out and got the records bureau to run the histories for you and everybody wasn't uh, GCIC or Georgia Crime Information Center certified. So you had to have that and things moved a lot slower. And yeah, I can uh, remember yeah. in 94 that this is how crazy things were. And a lot of cops out there, a lot of people now don't understand this, but in 1994, if you were gonna run a true criminal history, you had to almost run every city they lived in. Right. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. It was it was, it was very cumbersome. We, we had a, uh, a captain of detectives who had served the majority of his career in community services. He had just taken over the investigative division. He was not supportive at all. Uh, we learned very quickly that Mary Colley Stewart's family had grown up with our district attorney, Danny Craig, who's now a, a Superior Court judge and sitting on the bench. but. He finds out about this very quickly, storms over there to the police department with the sheriff uh, in tow, uh, wanting to know who in the hell is this Alfonso Williams and what has he done on the case? I get a summon to the chief's office, get up here now, the DA and the sheriff are here, and they wanna know what you've done on this case, where are we? And so I get in there, it's very intimidating. I gotta stand up before these, these folks and give a briefing about where I am on the case. I've had the case probably for six or seven hours by that time. And uh, they were pretty impressed that, that we already started to develop Fielding as a suspect. He didn't show up for work the next day, Friday the 13th, the day after Mary disappeared. He called in and said he had a, a stomach ache and he, he couldn't make it to work. And so obviously I'm getting really anxious and thinking this is this is the guy we need to, uh, to to pay attention to, but the husband's not off the hook yet, and and so we start to work the case, and and uh, we uh, 
Uh, later that night, I'm, I'm eating 10 o'clock that night. I'm eating lunch at a local restaurant with my office partner. If you've ever watched the show Columbo, my office partner was an exact replica of Columbo. Wore the same clothes, same hat, same disposition, laid back, wasn't aggressive, but he'd work the case until he, he tracked you down. That's just kind of how he was. So having dinner with him and I said, you know, I just don't know where Mary is. I don't think she ran off with anybody. Her car is still in the parking lot. She has to be, has had to be in that trash can and we need to shut down the landfill and get out there tomorrow morning. Now this is a young 23 year old detective with just a year and a half experience. I get on the phone with who, who, who has a supervisor a captain of detectives who is not supportive at that point, wanting to make sure that I don't get the wrong guy so that he doesn't lose his position that he just just got. I get on the phone and I call the city administrator and I say to her, I have surmised that my victim is in the landfill. I need you to close the landfill on tomorrow morning and let me come out and search. She said, who are you? And just because you're asking, I've got 200,000 people in this city who depend on the landfill being open on Saturday mornings. And so I tell her about my theory. She said, I tell you what, I'm gonna do it for you because you seem like you care, but you had better be right. She closed the landfill. I got on the phone. I found the truck driver that picked up the dumpster that day. I said, I'll be at your house at 4.45 tomorrow morning to pick you up. We'll be out there at the landfill at five o'clock. I want you to show me where you dump trash for that day. He said, yeah, I dumped the dumpster. It was full. I'll, I'll show you exactly where I did it. I get five detectives to go out with me to search because nobody else believed the theory and just said, I'm not going out there. I'm not going to search some landfill. You can imagine there's carcasses and all kinds of stuff out there. And, and uh, we, five of us go out there and well, Al, I can tell you from my experience of working cases and what I have found to be true about most detectives, if you work murder cases and, and I've worked murder cases and I've worked robberies and rapes and all those things as a detective, I was a detective for five years. But when you work these cases, you will end up at the landfill sometime or another in your career if you're a detective. You can just go ahead and count landfill duty's gonna be in. I don't know if they do that anymore these days, but I will tell you right back in the day, landfill duty was, you were gonna be on a search for somebody having landfill duty. And I remember when I had to go out there in a landfill looking for a body, that is the most putrid, difficult, nasty, your clothes, you cannot even get back in your car with your clothes on. You almost have to wear coveralls and strip those off and then take those with you. And before you ever walk in your house, they can smell you coming. Dean, and you so, mentioned 1994. Let me tell you, brother, it was 1994. Nobody knew anything about coveralls and booties over your shoes. Yeah, right. We had lunch <laughs> sitting in the landfill. We had pizza delivered to the landfill oh put on a six foot table. <laughs> and when you wanted lunch, you went over to the table, grabbed a slice of pizza. You ate that and you went back to digging. We searched around the country. 
internet was not a big deal then. And we just had not heard of a lot of these kinds of searches. Yeah, it, it was it was crazy. So uh, we get out there searching. We're searching for five hours or so. We sat down in the landfill to eat a sandwich. Uh, Henry Black, Detective Henry, Investigator Henry Black from the Sheriff's Office was there with me. We were sitting there eating a sandwich and Henry said, hey, Al, look at those buzzards over that way. I said, man, we're in the landfill. There's buzzards everywhere. He said, yeah, but I'm, I'm interested in that area over there. He said, when I finish my sandwich, I'm gonna go over and start digging in that area. Well, as a lead detective, I wanted to be out there digging. You talk about leadership, you gotta do what you expect others to do. You gotta, you know, the, I couldn't be in a shirt and tie every day and asking everybody else to go out and search while I'm gallivanting around the city. So I was out there, I said, I've gotta leave. I need to go find these custodial staff persons and interview all of them. I, I can't stay out here all day and, and uh, call me if you find anything. Sure enough, he finished eating his sandwich and he went over to that heap of trash where all the buzzards were gathered. Four hours later, he's ringing my phone. I got her feet, I got her feet. Al, she's here. And it was, it was as, as, as horrible as that sounds, it was the most pleasant thing I'd heard all day because we knew we were on the right track at that point. And, and I had a, a, a city administrator who was saying, you better be right. I had a captain who said, how come you went over my head to go to a city administrator and you didn't ask me about going to the landfill? And, and, I, and, and Dean, this is another leadership lesson. I said to him, Captain, you just left community services. You don't know anything about CID. He had some choice words for me. He said, let me tell you one damn thing. I may not know anything about investigations, but I'm the captain here. You understand that? And years later, I called him up just out of the blue one day, five years later. And I said, Captain Hart, you know, you were right. I'm a leader now and I understand what you meant back then. He thought I was just letting the DA push me to go too fast and it was going to blow up in our face. We were going to have an innocent man in jail. We were only targeting him because of his criminal history. The defendant was black. The black community was kind of saying, you know, you're y'all, the husband did this. Why are y'all after this guy? You know, so it was, it was, it was all over the news. It was in the community. And, and then they were saying, uh, you know what, that, that lead custodian on the janitorial crew, Robert Fielding, has looked at me funny. And he's said things to me and he makes me feel really uncomfortable when he's around. And, and, and couple, that coupled with the criminal history just said I needed to go further. I've got Ware Stewart, Ware Stewart was in my face every day, all day crying, please find my wife. The DA is saying, this is not like her. So there was enough circumstantial evidence to say this woman is missing uh, involuntarily. And, and I think this is a key point for people in leadership. Would you have been assigned this case had it not been tagged a missing person? Had it been assigned a homicide, they probably would have shifted to a more senior person. Is that true? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. The fact that you were in a missing person's role was the lesser role of hey this girl, this lady's missing so this thing drops in your lap and now you're you all of a sudden become a lead investigator 
I'm sure you had a lot of people in the office that thought you weren't good enough to work this case, or you weren't smart enough or experienced enough or knew what the hell was going on, you know, enough. You were only 23 years old. And you think about it, I, I know being a young detective myself, there's a lot of responsibility on you, you know, when you got a case like this. So, and then to have the DA, now, we, you know, when we say this, when, when you talk about that earlier, having the DA and the sheriff show up to question you on what the hell's going on, I think that probably goes over the head of 90% of the people that we got in the audience who might think, well, that happens all the time nowadays. No, you back then, you didn't talk to the sheriff or the DA unless you were in serious trouble. That's right. Had never met the sheriff. The uh -huh. police, city police and the county sheriff shared the same building. We were on one side of the building, they were on the other. We both shared the jail. Uh, mm -hmm. But we, we, we worked together on cases, but you certainly didn't go in their jurisdiction taking over. We didn't want them in our jurisdiction. Every city and county has those jurisdictional boundary issues. Uh, who's better, city or the county? The city was a lot more advanced. The county was kind of good old boy, uh, you know, do the job for the sheriff. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't uh, very usual to have that happen. And uh, uh, they were serious. And the DA was demanding of our chief you get a joint task force going and you get it going right now and you get everybody, you get every resource you have on this case. I'm getting the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to come in to assist in this case. We're gonna find Mary. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can find the link to Alfonso's book, Murder in Augusta, on our LHLN website, www lhln.org. Join us next week for part two and the subsequent investigation. From our family here at LHLN to yours, we wish you a safe and wonderful holiday season.